Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MSU Wealth Management Association podcast. My name is Hannah Bennett, and I will be the host for today. Um, we're joined with Bree Seach, who is a senior wealth advisor at Mariner Wealth Advisors. Um, she's held previous roles at Merrill Lynch Wealth Management, and she is also a MSU alumna. So welcome, Bree. Thanks, Hannah. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, so I know I gave a little snippet, but if you want to just kind of tell us about yourself and your path from MSU to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I have been in the industry for, gosh, I think going on over 10 years now. So I graduated from Michigan State in 2013. Um, and I, I was at Merrill Lynch for about eight years and uh, started with Mariner in September of 21 to um, launch a, a firm with them. So, uh, or a local market with them, I should say, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, um, yeah, I kind of had, I mean, I think anyone in wealth management could could attest to this. You kind of find your way. It's, it's an industry in which you find the footing that, that you can and, and kind of get as much momentum as you can and, and go from there. But um, yeah, I really got into the business. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a very middle class uh, environment. My dad was a teacher um, and uh, just kind of found the whole idea of, you know, financial freedom um, and, and accumulating wealth, you know, pretty fascinating. And uh, the idea of jumping, you know, socioeconomic classes uh, was not something I really saw a lot of in a in a small, very rural town. Um, but I knew, you know, from a young age, you know, I wanted, um, you know, to kind of get out, right, as they say, um, you know, build some financial security for myself. And I always really equated that with with personal freedom. Um, and planning for risk and investing seemed essential, you know, learning how to do that seemed really essential to me from a very young age. And um, as I dove deeper into kind of, you know, what type of career I'd want and what I'd be passionate about doing, I felt compelled to share this message and, and educate people and, and help people understand that they do have choices. You know, I think financial literacy is a huge issue in our country. And you have a lot of people that feel really trapped because they just don't know what they don't know. And they make bad decisions from a very young age that can be really tough to, to unwind. Um, and so that's really how I landed on financial planning. Um, and I came to Mariner um, really because I wanted to build my own practice and they, they gave me the tools uh, to do that. Right. They, they gave the education and, um, you know, they really allowed uh, me to flourish and, and really take that next step. Awesome. Well, I know you hit on a little bit of why wealth management for you, um, but are there any aspects of the job that get you excited or wake up every day and excited to hit the ground running? Well, every day is different, right? Like things will rhyme, but I think what what I find exciting about every day is um, you really don't know what your day is going to look like. Um, you know, you have conversations with clients and it's always great to have that sort of um, connection, right? I mean, there's not a day that goes by where I don't talk to probably at least two clients and, um, you know, having that emotional connection with someone and, and really solving problems, right? I mean, 
most days as a financial advisor, you're, you're solving, you're helping people solve problems and find solutions. And I think it's, you know, it can be tolling and, and hard and all those things, but it's also very rewarding. Um, you know, most days you're going to be busy and you're going to feel pretty accomplished, which is a good feeling. Absolutely. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of hit on, um, I know you mentioned how Mariner gave you the opportunity to um, kind of start from scratch, start your own um, branch. What was that transition like from Merrill Lynch to Mariner? Um, it was hard, <laughs> it, you know, definitely had some, you know, pretty emotional days and um, a little isolating, right? Because I was on a really big team at Merrill. Um, there was probably 15 plus people and a lot of experienced advisors and, you know, a, a lot to fall back on, right? Where if I had a question or a client was asking me something, I could go to someone's office and, and get an answer, you know, within 30 minutes, um, and I think the, the hardest part about making the change was, you know, removing all of that sort of, uh, really the training wheels came off. Right. And you're, you're in a room by yourself and you have no clients and you have, you know, uh, you know, leads coming in and you're trying to convert business. And, um, it, it was, you know, I think it was a great learning experience for me and super rewarding. And it forced me to really push myself and figure out how to make it happen. I mean, Mariner was integral in that, right? They provided as much as they could remotely for me, but um, there was no Mariner office in Grand Rapids. So um, I think it, it, it has been um, extremely difficult, but also very rewarding. And I don't think I would be anywhere close to where I am in my career or my current trajectory if I wouldn't have taken that leap. You know, no one's going to take a chance on you if you don't. And I think the coolest part about the whole experience has just been seeing how receptive people are to taking a chance on someone, right? Like I, Like some of my first clients, I mean, they knew that I was brand new on my own, you know, no one else there, but people, people want to root for you and they want to help you. And I think if you can provide that value and communicate well, and, um, you know, people will reciprocate in ways that, you know, I found, you know, really, um, surprising, right? Like it was just, it was, yeah, it was really cool to see. Awesome. I know with, um, firms that are a little bit smaller, I feel like clients can get that personalized touch. Mm -hmm. um, and just doing some research on you guys, I saw in a few places, the Mariner 360 approach. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of just talk us through a little bit about that and how it's been, uh, been effective for your clients? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, it kind of goes back to that, like doing what you say you're going to do, right? There's a lot of buzz in the industry around um, you know, holistic planning and, you know, kind of going beyond investments and um, what this could mean at, at some places is, you know, hey, we're going to do retirement planning, we're going to evaluate your goals and think about market volatility, which, which is good, but it's not really covering all of the angles, right? Hence the 360 view. Um, the clients we work with, uh, you know, they get a thorough estate planning review, they get an insurance review, they get ongoing tax projections, 
Um, and, and this is an addition to kind of that retirement cash flow planning and investment management that, um, you know, that, that they would also receive. So I, I really feel like my job as an advisor is to help people identify blind spots, right? Again, going back to that, people don't know what they don't know, and they're coming to you because they want help, right? They aren't always great at articulating what they need help with. Um, it, and it's a very, I mean, it's an emotional process to work through that 360 plan with someone. I mean, it sounds prescriptive when we talk about, oh, I'm going to talk about insurance and estate. When you really start to have those conversations with clients and you talk about family dynamics, right? Estate planning is, is, is a great example. I mean, that is, that's a two hour plus meeting for me with clients just to get the conversation started. I mean, you're going to learn about their kids. You're going to learn about their fears. You're going to learn about how they really think about their wealth, right? What's the purpose? And they might not even know that yet. Um, and so it's, you're really guiding, you know, clients through this, this process of, um, it's one thing to identify, hey, you don't have an estate plan. Almost every financial advisor is going to say that. It's another thing to intentionally set a two-hour meeting, create you know, material that compels them to actually talk about it, and then follow through, help them find the right attorney, help them get the documents put together, and then fund the plan, right? There's so there's there's a dis there tends there can be a disconnect in some in some cases, um, and so that I think to me it's it's one covering all the angles and it's two like helping clients follow through and take action right like I don't want to talk about the fact that you don't have an estate plan in every meeting I want to figure out how we fix it and we're going to do that together right so that's it I guess that would be kind of an example awesome. Um, I feel like that's a great way to put it, covering people's blind spots. Um, you know, we can all use a little help here and there. Um, has this approach kind of brought any key clientele or certain individuals that, that fit um, certain category towards Mariners, like a target client? Yeah, I mean, I would say I... I don't have, and this is probably kind of a unique perspective, but I haven't really developed what I would call like a niche, like, you know, and, and partly it's in the way that I kind of, you know, acquire business and, you know, I get leads from a lot of different places. Um, but I would say, you know, in general, the, the easiest time to engage a prospective client is when they're going through transition, right? Is it a job change, a home sale, retirement, a business sale, divorce, marriage, um, death, right? Um, when people are in flux and things are changing, um, there's a lot of moving pieces and that, that really opens the doors for you as a planner to say, here's where I can add value like right now. Um, and so, you know, our, our, I tend to work with higher net worth clients, right. You know, but I also, and I would say this to any, any advisor, any young advisor, especially you got to plant seeds, right. You have like, I, I, I do work with people that can't even invest with me yet, but we put the work in because we know one, they need the help. 
And, you know, two referrals can come from anywhere. And, and most of these people are going to be great clients in five years or the minute they leave their job and they want someone to manage their 401k. So I think it's really important. You know, I, I know there's a lot of buzz around developing a niche and this is how you become successful. I kind of think the opposite. I think being a utility player and knowing how to address a lot of different situations and how to really grow a very aggressive pipeline, because that's what it takes. Like if you're two years into building a book, you're not going to be saying no to much, right? Like you just aren't. And maybe in 10 or 15 years, you can start to, you know, develop a niche and, and narrow down your practice. And, but I found that, um, Anybody that wants to sit down and talk with you, if you're young and you're trying to to get that momentum, take it as a repetition, if nothing else, right? Practice, right? You have to learn how to talk to people and how to present yourself. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're sitting in in front of someone who's probably much older than you and trying to convince them to let you invest millions of dollars for them. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta refine that and fine tune it. So um, yeah, that's, I guess, kind of my approach. Yeah. Awesome. Going along with, um, your advice with practicing with young clients, you know, totally right point, not going to say no to a lot of things. Um, what are some other key skills that, um, shape a successful advisor and how can people in my position, other MSU students or any listeners in general, um, what are some key skills that we can all work on to, to better ourselves in that category? Get really comfortable communicating. I mean, email, text, phone calls, picking up the phone and calling people. I mean, communication is so essential. Most people, even if something goes wrong, if you communicate and you fix it and you're timely, they were that's how you build respect and trust right so learning that over communication i always default to over communication with new clients and then we set a cadence right you get to know what someone do you like to text do you like to email do you like calls how often do you want to check in um you know asking questions communicating and figuring out how to communicate with different types of people i have clients that um you know, I might talk on the phone with them for an hour and I have clients that we do everything via our secure, you know, kind of texting and emailing and and it just, it just depends, right? And it depends on where your client is and what phase of life they're in and what they're really looking for. So it's really important to figure out how to kind of set those expectations. I mean, follow through is super important. Um, if you say you're going to do something in this job and it doesn't get done, I mean, it can have huge costs, consequences, and it just doesn't make you look very good. If you meet with a client next time, you talked about doing something and it never got done and you never followed up on it. Again, it deteriorates trust. This business is all about trust. It's hard to build and very easy to lose. So you have to really recognize that clients are looking for that they want to feel confident in in you and you have to kind of develop that right and again early into your career everyone's a new client if you talk to an advisor that's had clients for 10 or 15 years those clients are extremely loyal they've been clients for a long time 
when you're bringing in new clients all the time, you're always kind of building that with a new person on a regular basis. So you have to get really sharp at it. Um, and also problem solving, right? I mean, when a client signs on, they're handing you, you know, or uploading or whatever, you know, statements from 10 different institutions and an old trust and, oh, I have this, you know, here's my tax return and we don't really know what's going on with the insurance. And you're really like taking a, a pile of very unorganized information and trying to formulate and pretty immediately, right? Okay, what am I going to present? One, that that makes them feel like they do need the help and recognize that. And two, like, what do I need to fix, right? Like, what, what do I need to communicate to them of like, hey, like, you don't have enough life insurance or your investments are really, really expensive. You have a bunch of mutual funds that, you know, have a very high cost structure. And, you know, you have to kind of get very good at taking that information. And, and some people share more than others, right? You might get very little information from a prospective client. And again, you're trying to kind of figure out how do I put this together? So I think learning how to, um, you know, problem solve and identify, you know, issues is, is really important too. And then how to present solutions in a way that people understand, right? There's a lot of jargon in this industry. So you can talk about alpha and beta and, you know, all these things in front of a client and it, it, it isolates them because they don't know what you're talking about. So you have to be really careful coming out of school. Like it's good to know, like the knowledge has to be there because at the end of the day, that's, that's your responsibility as a fiduciary, right. To have that education, but it's, you have to figure out how to translate it in a way that connects with people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to transition just a little bit and talk more about your team at Mariner. Mm -hmm. um, I know your team is pretty small as of right now. Um, I wanted you to kind of touch on some things that you've learned going from what you said, like a 15 person team. Um, and how have you navigated this new branch? Yeah, so we just added our fourth person. Um, and I think it is, it's really cool to be building a team from the ground up. Um, you know, I think, you know, protecting the culture and, um, you know, it it's given me the opportunity to really elevate people pretty quickly, which has also been an awesome experience um, because we are small and the growth is is there. Um, so I think it's, it's really about like for me, and this is something that I, I'm new to management, right? This is really my first management type position. And for me, it's been a learning experience. And I was under a very traditional management system at Merrill, right? Where it was that we were in an office environment, um, you know, and we had a lot of, you know, very, you know, kind of, um, you know, just old school sort of rigid management styles that weren't bad, but um, I think we're, the world's really kind of moving away from that. And so, um, you know, Mariner has given us, you know, gives us a lot of flexibility locally to kind of say, hey, like, you know, your team can have some, you know, remote time, you know, however, however you want to manage that um, to get the most product, you know, to get the, the most 
um, you know, kind of productive outcome for your office is, is really kind of how we function. So I think it's been cool to one, be able to elevate people and, and watch that growth that, that, you know, kind of we've all been able to enjoy. And then two, just, you know, work with my team to develop policies and procedures that um, I think really empower them and also motivate them with, without kind of having, you know, um, you know, maybe the traditional management style, if you will. So I'm kind of finding my way with it, right? So I'm I'm still relatively new to it. And I tell my team all the time, like, give me feedback, you know, bear with me. Um, and if, if there's things that, you know, I try to run a democracy, right? If there's things that, you know, we all agree need to be done differently, then let's, let's talk about that. So I think it's just, you know, learning and, and, um, you know, hopefully developing people in such a way where they feel um, enough responsibility for their role and, and the work they're doing that, um, you know, we can all kind of function um, without uh, a lot of, you know, red tape, I'll say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with this kind of close-knit group, what are the goals you guys have set? Maybe not even for 2024, but just in general for your growth. Yeah, so it's one of the big goals we had was moving to a permanent office space. So we've been in kind of shared hoteling office. And um, so uh, we signed our lease uh, earlier this year and we'll be moving into the new office in March. Um, so that has been, um, is and, and will be a, a huge day for the team um, and very exciting to see that kind of come to life. Um, we got to keep growing, right? I mean, that's what we talk about. That's what I talk to my team about all the time is growth equals opportunities for everyone at the table, right? So um, figuring out ways to acquire more business, you know, maybe, you know, bigger clients and um, and then also, you know, um, launching the, the people on my team to ultimately start to work on their own, building their own clientele, right? I mean, I think um, I have a very young team and I fully anticipate, you know, everyone that that is on my team to have, you know, their own clients and, and their own team that they're managing. So um, it's that's I think the, the real goal I have is just to continue to elevate people and to continue to bring in good talent um, and keep that momentum going because the potential is there and we can all see it. So it's just about, you know, putting the work in to realize it. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the office space. I feel like that'll definitely help that work culture, having your own place settle down. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to kind of switch it up. Um, I know a lot of us in school, something that most of our professors say is that you got to be up to date, what's going on in the marketplace, general news, when clients come and ask you about something, you don't want to, you know, be clueless on it, you want to um, have knowledge of what's going on around you. So um, are there any specific sites or things that you like to use to stay up to date with news or anything you've been reading lately, watching, listening to? Yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, Mariner provides us a lot of great proprietary info. And so I would say wherever you end up, you know, take advantage of whatever your firm's doing, because most of them have really good internal research um, for the most part, right? So start, I would start there and you really should familiarize yourself with your firm's views. Um, they will, in most cases, probably, you know, need to align on some level. Um, and then uh, someone outside of Mariner, I really love Ed Yardini. Um, if, I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, he's, he is fantastic, you know, super well-versed um, economist and, and just has a really, um, you know, kind of fresh outlook on, on, you know, what's happening economically and how that ties back to the stock market. I usually spend about 20 to 30 minutes every morning just skimming headlines, reading any articles, and you'll have, um, you know, there's a there's certain stocks that I follow very closely because I have, um, you know, clients with concentrated positions or, you know, what have you. So there's there's some specific research like that that I that I keep up on uh, on a daily basis. Um, I do think it's really important to develop your own market views because clients are going to want to hear what you think. And so it does need to have some basis of fact and intelligence behind it um, and being able to reference, I think is really important. Like, hey, yeah, let me send you that article, right? Um, or let me send you this clip. Um, I think that's really important. Um, and and it's, it's reading and taking it in, but again, it's how am I translating this in a couple bullet points in a really effective way? And how does it tie back to what we're doing, right? Because you're you're managing the portfolio. So if you have market views that aren't aligned with how you're managing the portfolio, then you probably need to reassess what's happening there and make some changes and discuss that with the client. Hey, we did this because of this. Now this has changed. So we need to make a tactical shift, right? And learning how to communicate that. Clients want to feel like you are involved in what's happening with the management of the investments and to being able to cleanly tie it all together is a part of every single client conversation I have. I might spend five minutes on it with some clients. I might spend 30 minutes on it with some clients, but most people want to hear it. So this is a really good thing for you to practice, right? As you get internships and you start to learn about, you know, investing and, and what that looks like, learning how to cohesively tie economic views with investing and effectively communicate that is is really important. Very true. Um, with, you know, different clients have different um, communication styles, like you mentioned, um, and sometimes could be sending a text at 8 p.m. or, you know, times that might not be office hours. Um, how do you kind of navigate that work-life balance while still, you know, providing your services to clients? Yeah, um, it's a good question. It, for me, it, it's been a progression. I think it's hard because you can't control when things happen, right? Mm -hmm. Market-driven, event-driven for a specific client, um, being available tends to be somewhat important in this job. And I'm not saying you can't set boundaries. We all have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but but what I do is just, you know, check in, right? Like I try to have a, a shutdown, like, you know, like usually it's six or seven at night, depending on what kind of day I've had. And I, and I just turn off my 
alerts and I, and I shut it down and, and, you know, that's taken me a long time to get to that. And I'm still not always perfect at it. Um, but it's a balance because, um, if you miss something, you know, and a client really needed, you know, something relatively quickly, again, it's one of those things that can deteriorate trust. So, um, I, I do try to schedule with my clients pretty regularly. And I think that helps a lot, right? Like if you set another meeting after your last meeting and mm -hmm. people know, oh, I have a meeting with Bree in two weeks, they might send me an email or something like that. And I might respond to it, but trying to, um, kind of manage their expectations and then, and then they feel better because they know, oh, I can you know, kind of send these questions ahead of the meeting. If something urgent comes up, you know, at times you're just going to have to be available for that. And, you know, if someone is buying, you know, a property for cash and they want to close tomorrow and you've got to sell investments to make it happen, like, you know, th there's just things that, you know, we can't always control. So I do think it's, I think it's important to set boundaries, but with the way technology is, check your text, check, you know, check your, your work text, check your email. And, you know, if it's, if it's at eight o'clock at night, there's nothing that can really be done. Right. Aside from sending a quick text back. And sometimes that's what I do is like, Hey, I've got this. I'll look at it first thing in the morning, like just sending that communication touch of I've heard you. I see you. We're going to take care of this. And we've got you like, don't always feel like you have to solve it at eight o'clock at night, I think would be another, like even just sending a quick touch back makes people feel a lot better. Like they know, okay, we'll breeze on it. And first thing in the morning, she's going to get it going and let me know what we need to do. So, um, and also building the infrastructure, right? So when I'm by, when I was by myself, it was a lot harder because everything was coming through me. Once you build out a team, if you delegate and you empower people and to give them responsibility and handle things, well, then it's not like, oh, I've been in meetings for, you know, seven hours and now I've got 30 emails. It's like, nope, my team's been able to handle 10 of those emails and the rest of them can wait, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. But you, that's, everybody has a different sort of style, but I think, you know, it, it is, it is a business in which you are going to have to work early mornings, late nights, whether it's entertaining clients, getting caught up before, you, you know, you have a day full of meetings. It is, it is a, it is not a nine to five job. I don't think I've never seen someone successfully <laughs> do that. So yeah. I would say, um, you know, but if you manage your time, like you might work seven to seven, Monday through Thursday, and then you work nine to two on Friday and you work a little bit Saturday morning. I mean, the flexibility is there, but you got to put the time in somewhere. Yeah. I've heard from professors and different advisors um, who've come into the university or just listening to our other podcasts um, saying, you know, it's important to have that balance, but also, like you said, this industry is built on trust so when someone reach out and you're their helper you got to be the one to like I like what you said just saying hey I saw this I acknowledge it I think that's something really powerful and great for everyone listening to take in um just that little acknowledgement goes a long way like you said building yeah. that trust over time 
um, going like, along, go ahead. I was gonna say, and also like put yourself in that person's position. And this is something that as you all progress with your own, building your own wealth and buying homes and selling homes, I mean, these are really stressful things. And if you think about how you would feel if you were in the process, in the midst of a home transaction and you message your advisor, who's managing most of your money and you don't hear back for two days, right? Like that, like always try to like think about, and as you have those experiences, I think it helps you increase that awareness because you know what it feels like to go through something like that. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's, you'll figure out your own style, but making people feel comfortable is, is, is the key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I didn't mention this before, but Brie has quite a few designations, certified financial planner, certified private wealth advisor, chartered retirement planning counselor, got a lot of acronyms behind your name, which is also great. Um, I know with our wealth management uh, minor here at MSU, most of us are planning to take our CFP relatively short period after our graduation. Um, so I kind of wanted to end it off. If you have any study tips or advice for obtaining um, the CFP or any of the other designations that you have, um, any any tips or advice for us? Yeah, I mean, you all are in a great advantage. I wish that this existed when I was in school because I had to do the coursework and then the test. Just get it done. Schedule your exam 90 days out, study hard, and just take it. You'll be fine. You, It's fresh because I can tell you I have colleagues that have delayed it or maybe even never done it. And um, it gets really hard because you're when you first start off in work, you know, it takes you a year to really learn how to add value and, and really, you know, get busy. So take advantage of that, get it done. And if you are passionate about, you know, getting other designations, I mean, the great thing about like, you know, maybe further into your career, like this, the CPWA, um, that's like, you know, that all you can do all that coursework and it's going to count for all your continuing education. Um, so they kind of, they kind of like help each other. Right. So to carry multiple designations in a sense, um, you got to do the continuing education anyway, why not get a designation for it? Um, so I think that's a good tip, but yeah, you don't, you don't want to be balancing studying for the exam and the pressure of having, you know, a 50 plus hour work week and you start to have your own clients and cause you're always going to prioritize the work mm. and you got to get that designation. It is like, it is like key. It, it, you got to get it. Would you say having more than just the CFP is, is necessary or is it just more of an added benefit like more knowledge on, on your plate? So I think it kind of depends on where you are, right? For me, um, I took the progression of, I started off in operations and became an investment in analyst. So I was really passionate about I, the type of person I, I wanted to learn as much as I could. And that helped me build confidence to be able mm -hmm. to go out and ask for the business. So I think, you know, if you have, and, and, and it helps you build different skills, right? And, and it pushes you to learn 
you know, different aspects of financial planning that, um, you know, you, you probably wouldn't delve into otherwise. And so I think it, for me, it, it was a confidence builder and, and it also, um, look, I take this job really seriously. Like I, I'm taking care of people's livelihoods here. So, um, I, I think people respect and, and like to see that education and that care. Um, and it, it allows you to I think be a better advisor. I mean, I, I definitely think it improved my skills. Um, but it, everyone's different. I mean, I think, I think the CFP is in my opinion, um, kind of the bare minimum. And I think doing more, whether, I mean, it, we have, you know, people that have their CPA designations at Mariner. I mean, I think that's great, right? If you mm -hmm. take on that, you know, that level of, of tax, it's going to help you, you know, we have people that are attorneys that are have become financial advisors and and you know have their CFPs. So I think it really depends on your career progression. But if you're solely focused on wealth management, you're graduating with a wealth management degree and you get your CFP, I think a secondary designation of some type is is a really good idea. Yeah, I think it just shows to clients that you're dedicated and hardworking and that um, kind of gives them confidence in you as well. Like you said, it gives you confidence, but they can say, hey, my advisor's done all these things, has all these certifications. I can trust that she's going to take care of me and help in those situations. So um, yeah. definitely something to consider um, yeah. for the future. Um, but that is all I have for us today. Thank you so much, Bree, for joining us. A lot of good insight, advice, all of that. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Good. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the discussion, please like and share the podcast on Apple and Spotify. The Spartan Journal podcast is part of Michigan State University's Wealth Management Association, a student organization whose goal is to inspire the next generation of financial advisors. The Spartan Journal News Team releases a newsletter every Monday morning comprised of financial literacy and the week's market updates. Feel free to follow us on social media at MSUWMA and check out our website at MSUWMA.com. Anything heard on either the MSUWMA or Spartan Journal podcasts is for educational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice.